Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. Okay, Mr. Davis, let's do ourselves some tech gumbo for the day. I'm excited. Start off like we like to do with the news and updates. There's a story out that people in the in the U.S. are turning down the volume and using subtitles and reading along with the, or the shows that they're watching nowadays. I like this. Uh, it's something that I do. And my guess is that, one, a lot of this is healed simply by access. It just wasn't available in the same way 20 years ago or 30 years ago as it is today. And that well, there's a, a lot of good reasons for this. Several of the reasons are people wanting to better comprehend the plot, they want to understand what actors are saying and things like that. If the audio might be muddled or a lot of background noise, a lot of reasons to to do that. Yeah, I think that especially if you're watching shows from other English languages, Dairy Girls, they have the thick Irish accent. If you have Down Abbey, they have the that thick British accent. And so Outlander, which is a very heavy Scottish show. Or even uh, The Wire, which has the thick Baltimore accent. You know, a lot of those can be tough to pick up uh, the first time through. And so, all right, it's just easier. Well, it's also interesting that we have now dropped below 50% of people who were watching TV over the linear cable TV option. Yeah, so this is according to Nielsen, and they measured the total watchage time, and they found that in July, this is the first time that people consumed more of their media from the non-traditional sources than the traditional sources. So if you're watching YouTube or Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus, or if you're streaming your TV with YouTube TV or Amazon TV or one of those things, instead of going with your traditional cable TV, you're if you're still on cable, you're in minority now. Yeah, the traditional broadcast TV is now only 20% of total 
and cable is just about 30%. So that's the together, they fell to 49.6, and everything else is at 50.4. We have truly entered into the next generation of content consumption. Which is interesting because now that even just broadcast TV is only digital, it's not, there is no more analog signal out there. So you have to get the digital antennas to receive the signals. And yet there still is 20% of the TV viewers. Well, I think that's if you're like me and you don't have a cable package, but you still want to watch some of the stuff. If I'm in New York, I want to watch the Giants game or the Jets game. I can get the, the digital antenna and watch some sporting events that way. But, you know, I don't have to pay for any of the sports packages. That's whenever it makes sense for someone like me. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Moving along, the Google Maps just got a big, huge upgrade if you have an electric car. Yes, for anybody who uses Android Auto, they will now show you where all of the charging stations are. Yeah, it's worth noting that these changes are that it applies to Google Maps on Android Auto. So this is not going to help you if you've got the the iPhone and CarPlay. You can now if you have CarPlay and you have Google Maps on your iPhone, you're kind of getting around the system. But if you want this to live on your car using Google Maps, you're going to need to have Android. Now, it's one thing to note, though, that this system is a little shallow, that a lot of modern electric vehicles actually have software on board that can sit there and read vehicle data. So it'll know things about what your battery percentage is, estimate battery range, and then it can help build that into your routing. And so this Android auto routing doesn't have that yet. Interestingly, Google is putting out an open source software called Android Automotive Operating System. And if you are very technical, you can go look into that and put that on your car. That has more features inside of it. But for most people, whenever you just, you know, take your USB and you plug your phone into it, that's going to be your Android Auto. And it doesn't have that smart routing with your battery percentage in mind. Which brings up the interesting incident about a man from the Winnipeg, Canada area who bought a Ford F-150 Lightning, the all-electric pickup truck. And he decided he wanted to take a road trip to Chicago. But his problem was is that he didn't plan his road trip very well. That's right. This is a 1,200-mile round trip, and we did a story a few weeks back about using these EVs in extremely cold weather cuts down on your mileage range. Well, he decided to drive down to Chicago in January, and he wasn't doing a good job of paying attention to what kind of range he was getting. Yeah, that he ended up having to, he says, abandon his car in a town called Elk River, Minnesota. It should be noted Elk River is maybe 10 miles outside of the center of Minneapolis. I'm guessing that he was able to retrieve it pretty quickly. The headline feels a little clickbaity here, but it is also interesting to note that if you were looked today, you find there's actually multiple chargers in Elk River and there's several chargers not that far up the road. He says that he was down to his last 12 miles and didn't think he'd make it to the next one down the road. Okay, you know, 
Maybe there have been a lot more charges to come online in the year or so since he had this incident. But, you know, this, this is one of the problems of EVs is that because you're still very new, you do have to plan a little bit more. That's right. I mean, you're pioneering the road for other people who are going to be buying these EVs. I think your usage of the word pioneer there is very good because I think back you could have run the same story 100 years ago with someone who was switching from horse-drawn carriages to your gasoline-powered engine. That, oh, I was taking a trip across the country with my horse-drawn carriage. If I, I would have made it had I been with them, but because I had my gasoline engine and I, I couldn't make it all the way and I had to abandon my gasoline engine because there wasn't enough infrastructure to support me yet. That is the exact same place that we are here right now. And that's, you know, in two years, in five years, thanks to a lot of infrastructure investment from the government, we're going to start seeing a lot more charging stations. It's going to be a lot more common. His trip also took him through some pretty remote places. And that I would imagine most trips across the country aren't going to be quite as sparse as traveling through Fargo, North Dakota. And so this feels like an outlier in a lot of different ways. I could not agree more. I, I love the analogy, by the way. But if you know you're trying to take a 1,200-mile trip and you live way out in the hinterlands of Canada, maybe an EV is not a good thing for you right now. Maybe at some point it will get there. Or if you're just going to just ride around your town but not try and take a 1,200-mile road trip through some very sparsely populated areas in the middle of January where you know your, your mileage is going to go way down. Maybe that's not good planning. Or just stop a little sooner. <laughs> that if you, know, you can just plan a little bit better in the middle of your trip. There's free websites that'll list all of the chargers that are available and tell you is someone currently charging there or not. And so you can see in real time, you can sit there and plan a route and it'll tell you here's every charger within 10 miles of your road. And so you can sit there and kind of make that calculation. There are tools out there. You do have to put in a little bit more effort. It's not just going to fall into your lap like gasoline is yet, but didn't require that much more effort. No. Instead of waiting till you're down to 5% charge left on your vehicle, maybe you pull over 25% left and recharge from there. Go grab a cup of coffee while it charges or have dinner or take a walk or whatever. I mean, free country, you can buy what you want, you have choices, but if you're going to make choices like this, understand the consequences that come with them. You have limited range, you have limited infrastructure support your vehicle. Maybe this is not the best vehicle to go 1,200 miles in yet. Two years from now, totally different conversation. Moving along, Tesla had a data breach. And before you think, oh, who hacked them? Well, it, this was an inside job. Yes. Two unhappy employees turned over the information of 75,000 customers to a German news outlet. That's right. They gave them social security numbers and other personal information and all this kind of stuff. And fortunately, a Tesla found out about this and they went to court and they had the, the uh, German news outlet promise not to share this information because the information was illegally appropriated. 
So the news outlets, they're holding this information. But again, it just goes back to how secure is your data? Doesn't matter how good your firewalls were, how good your cybersecurity was. When you've got two employees who are behind all the firewall and behind all the data and they're upset and they take a, a USB drive and walk out with all that data, there's no cybersecurity in the world that's going to protect that. Yeah, so that's a great point. You know, we talk about cybersecurity as it's a journey. It is always about trade-offs. You're never going to be at 100%. And are there things that Tesla could have done better to, you know, lock down their internals more? Probably. But those would have come with some pretty meaningful trade-offs. And depending on who these two employees were, they might have still been able to get around those trade-offs. If they were high-ranking people, they would have just had access to all of this data anyway, no matter how many locks and keys you put on it. And so that's kind of one of the problems here is that you always have this tension and it might just be unable to square that circle. Yeah, this was one of those things where like good that they got caught and good that the information was captured before it got spread. Next door, we wanted to talk about driverless cars or autonomous vehicles are having trouble detecting kids and dark-skinned pedestrians. So of those two categories, if you're going to tell me that it's better detecting adults than kids, okay, you've probably been trained on more adults. You see more adults walking around. All right, that's I, I get that. But the fact that it can't see dark-skinned pedestrians as well as light-skinned pedestrians, that feels like the exact same problem that we saw in facial recognition software, where it was much better picking out white people than dark-skinned people. And I just have a feeling that we're going to see the same bias show up over and over again in a lot of different places. Well, it, it comes down to this is machine learning, and these machines can only learn what they're being taught. And if they're not being taught dark skin faces, then they're not going to learn what dark skin faces are, whether it's a facial recognition software or self-driving cars looking for pedestrians. If all of that's being taught is to look for white guys, then that's a problem. Yeah, it's by no means are we saying that these are, are intentionally trying to uh, forget or to avoid. It, it is not a, a choice that was say, oh, we're going to exclude those people. It is just whenever you have your industry and you have your training sets of data, if, as you said, you only put in pictures of white people or mostly put in pictures of white people, that's who it's going to be better at. And it's you have to put in a lot of care and effort on the front end. You have to be very intentional about your training data sets because any sort of bias in your initial sets will show up in the real world. And this also is a problem in, in low light, low contrast situations and where autonomous vehicles have a difficult time picking up anybody in the lower lights and in low contrast areas. If it can't pick up a dark skinned person, that's that's something else that these these cars just have to learn. And it's also whenever you start to look at how we invest in infrastructure and how we invest in street lights, you find that areas which are poorly lit are typically poorer areas. And in America, those are typically inhabited by people who have darker skins. And so here you can see 
each of these problems exists kind of by itself and they're kind of all separate from each other but all of a sudden they come together in this one pretty powerful clash and you really get some adverse side effects here that is going to take a lot of thought and a lot of effort and a lot of planning to make sure that we don't end up just propagating forward a lot of these inequalities. Now, again, this is not saying that these cars do not detect dark-skinned people at all. It's a difference of about 7.5% of recognition versus light-skinned versus dark-skinned people. So it's not a, not a dramatic number, but it is a significant number. And so more, more training, more development has to be put into these vehicles before you can just completely let them out into the wild. Yeah, because whenever we in transportation think about safety, we don't think about safety as an individual instance. We think about it over large numbers of instances, because if you think about every person who you drive by, the car has to recognize and identify them. And so if you drive by 100 people and one of them picks out all 100, the other one only picks out 93, or if you drive by 1,000 people and one doesn't pick up 75 out of that, you know, you start to see how, okay, the more numbers and the more of these cars driving around and the more it happens, you're going to just start to have one or two instances pop up. And that's all it really takes to have really bad things happen. So a lot more research is going to continue to happen and a lot more development with the artificial intelligence and that these vehicles will be much better trained. We're nowhere close to being Letting the autonomous vehicles run free, for now, you still need a driver behind the wheel. Absolutely. The last thing we wanted to get to was kind of a surprise and a turnaround. Apple has pledged their support for right to repair. Yes, this is a California Senate Act 244 that is currently being debated, and Apple has officially supported this. This is a big deal because for a very long time, Apple has been strongly against the rights repair. They have said, we are the only people who can touch our iPhones. Anybody else who goes in, you're avoiding the warranty. And we are, are going to make their life very difficult. When you consider how much money Apple has spent opposing right to repair, how much money they've spent lobbying legislators at the state and federal level to prevent this, to now all of a sudden do a complete 180 and say, oh, yeah, we're all in favor. Oh, by the way, there's a couple of little uh, hidden clauses. We want to make sure it's included. Those clauses, they're not too ridiculous. One of them says the bill does not require that safety features be disabled it says that repair providers must disclose if they're using genuine or non-genuine parts. And you also have to, the focus must remain on manufacturers to supply the tools and parts and documentation. So these seem reasonable on their surface. You know, it does feel like uh, you don't want it to completely open up to the, the channel fully. Okay, you know, this, these are our compromises but I, I don't hate them. If this is what it takes to get it through, this is a large win for consumers. Yeah, you don't want you don't want the ability to run down to the uh, your neighborhood convenience store and right next to the bubble gum find the the iPhone repair kit. That's usually going to be a problem. So I get that. If that's what these these little caveats are all about, okay, great. But 
now I can at least go to the iPhone repair shop and I can get my phone fixed. Yeah, I think that's exactly where this pushes towards is that the those shops can be a bit more focused. They can have more more intentional parts. They can do more with their labor. I think this is a good move, and I expect to see this move into a lot of other places as well. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.